In this lesson, which I have entitled The Wrong Woman, question mark, which is taken from Genesis chapter 29, verses 23 to 30, and yes, you're right, we will not yet be finishing chapter 29. <laughs> uh, Laban, in this chapter, or this section of this chapter, Laban finally fully reveals the true nature of his character. He was a very unscrupulous man, even when it came to matters which dealt with the feelings of his very own daughters, much less with the feelings of his nephew turned son-in-law. He took ja Jacob's obvious vulnerability, you know, due to his destitute situation and also due to his love for Rachel, and Laban thought nothing of using that vulner vulnerability to bind the most productive worker he have ever, had ever had to 14 years of work as a servant with absolutely no pay. And in the process, Laban had little, if any, concern for the suffering or the emotional feelings that his manipulative schemes would bring to his own two daughters and, of course, also to his nephew, Jacob. Laban only cared that he got what he set out to get. Yet, as we've already discussed in past lessons, God was using that very selfish and greedy man for his own purposes, wasn't he? God was using him. But still, Laban would have to be held accountable for his evil deeds. Even though God was using him for his purposes, Laban would be held accountable before God. Consequently, he would one day also reap the fruit from his own wicked sowing. And he would reap that fruit when his, his daughters, his daughters and their families, and his son-in-law turned from him and left. They departed from him, and he never saw them again. Of course, he would also reap the fruit of his wickedness one day when he went into a Christless eternity. Now, as we had closed up our last lesson, we had seen how Jacob had completed his first seven years of service laboring for Laban as an exchange for the hand of Rachel in marriage. And we learned that Jacob's ardent love for Rachel had caused those seven years to seem to what? fly by. They went really fast for him, uh, as though it said that they were like just a few days to him. That was in verse 20. Yet when his, his uh, time of service was completed, he did expect a wedding, right? I mean, that was the deal. He expected a wedding. However, Uncle Laban did not seem in any hurry to give him a wedding or to give him his daughter, and he therefore did not approach Jacob as he should have with his wages, his wages being Rachel's hand, yeah, his youngest daughter's hand in marriage. Therefore, we discussed how Jacob had found it necessary to demand that Laban fulfill his end of the bargain and give him his wife. That was in verse 21. So Laban went ahead and he planned, rather reluctantly, he planned for the wedding and the celebration feast. He also obviously planned for something else, did he not? Jacob was about to have a rude awakening to the truth of Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Men reap what they sow. Although the mills of God grind slowly, they do grind exceedingly fine, do they not? 
the man who had deceived his own father by passing himself off as the firstborn son was about to be deceived by his father-in-law who would use his firstborn daughter and pass her off as the younger sister, the younger daughter. Now this current lesson, which I said was is entitled The Wrong Woman? Question mark. Uh, we're going to pick up with the circumstances surrounding the wedding festivities and the deception which took place as Laban gave Leah, the elder daughter, to Jacob instead of Rachel, the younger daughter. And um, the title for that first section that we'll be looking at is simply Laban's Switch. Then we will, in order, we'll look at part two, Jacob's Surprise, and thirdly, Laban's Scheme. So let's begin by looking at Laban's Switch, verses 23 and 24 of chapter 29. 23. It says, And it came to pass in the evening, this is the evening of the wedding celebration, that he, Laban, took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, Jacob. And he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter, Leah, Zilpah, his maid, for an handmaid. So here we have Laban preparing, or he did prepare a wedding celebration, and we talked about the fact that those celebrations would last a week. They would last for seven days, and that seven-day celebration would begin with a very large banquet held on the first night. You know, after the wedding ceremony, be held on the first night, this banquet, and it would be attended by many male guests. We notice that verse 22, go back to verse 22, what does it say there? Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. So this was probably the origin of what we commonly call, what, a bachelor party. And a lot of drinking generally occurred at these bachelor party feasts. Whether or not there was a lot of drinking going on at Laban's party is not mentioned to us, although there probably was. Now, at any rate, when the sun went down on the wedding night, the bride, who, remember, was heavily veiled, she was to be taken into the bridal chamber. Laban, fulfilling his role as the father of the bride, bride would take his daughter to Jacob. Remember I told you then he would put a cloak around her and they would go together into the bridal chamber with all the guests still there and there they would consummate the marriage, you know, after sundown. Now the only problem with Jacob's wedding night was that the bride, unbeknownst to him, was not Rachel. Laban had brought him who? Leah instead of Rachel. Now, many questions arise from this amazing wedding night deception, especially, you know, when we think of it from our modern Western culture. You know, when we look at it with our Western eyes, we say, how in the world could a man marry the wrong woman and not know it? You know, how could he, how could he spend the whole night with a woman and not know it was the one he was to marry? Well, and so we have to consider, again, the situation as it really was back in those days. For one thing, as I did mention, the bride was heavily veiled. And the veil um, not only covered her face, 
but it also even managed to cover, it covered her whole head and especially her face, but it even managed to cover part of her body. And we discussed the fact that the two sisters, Rachel and Leah, must have been similar in size and stature for uh, Jacob not to know. I mean, if they were different in, in, in any significant way, he certainly would have known that, <laughs> right? Because the veil wouldn't have hidden, have hidden any obvious differences. Secondly, it was night, okay? It was night when they entered into the bridal chamber. And the darkness would help conceal the bride's true identity. Also, Laban probably saw to it, now we, you know, I can't be dogmatic about this, but he probably saw to it that Leah wore the wedding garments which had been prepared for her sister Rachel. And possibly he even had her wear her sister's perfumes. Thirdly, if Jacob had been drinking with the other men, he would not have been as perceptive as he otherwise would have been. And, you know, you can almost count on the fact that Uncle Laban would have been giving one toast after another after another to ensure that his nephew did imbibe quite a bit of, of alcohol, intoxicating liquid. Now, I can't be sure about that, but he, but perhaps Jacob did drink too much, and this would definitely help uh, for Laban's deception to have succeeded if Jacob if his senses were dulled. Now, others have wondered why Jacob would not have been able to tell uh, the difference in the girls' voices, you know, Leah's voice from Rachel's voice. And that problem also could be easily answered in several ways. Perhaps Leah, her voice was similar to her sister's. Perhaps they were very similar. I know my two daughters, sometimes I, when they call me, I have to say, now, which one is this? <laughs> because I have to listen for a while to tell one from the other. Or perhaps Leah had been told by her father to say nothing. Now, women in ancient times were generally quiet in the presence of men. And Jacob might not have thought it was strange if she didn't speak. He might just have done all the, the, the talking, you know, as they were there in the bridal chamber, thinking that she was very nervous and scared which she surely would have been. I mean, Leah would have not only been frightened because she had never been with a man before, but she would also have been terribly frightened of Jacob finding out about the deception. She would not have known what he might have done to her if he had found out about the deception. I mean, what if he threw her out of the bridal chamber uh, half-dressed and, and shamed her? in some way. I mean, even throwing her out would have shamed her if she was fully dressed. So she surely would have been nervous. There's no way around that. And um, so she might not have taken a chance and said anything at all. And, you know, you can say a lot just by going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and maybe, maybe whatever she did say, she whispered. And it's very hard to tell a voice from somebody else's if you just whisper. The biggest factor, however, as to why Jacob did not realize the deception until the morning was due to the fact that he was just totally unsuspecting. He was unsuspicious. It would not have ever even entered into his mind at all that someone would do such a thing and switch brides on him, especially a girl's own father. You know, why in the world would a father do such a thing to his own daughters? 
So we can be sure that it never even once crossed Jacob's mind that the young woman lying next to him during the night was anyone other than Rachel. It was probably the happiest night of Jacob's life. Don't you agree? But you know it had to have been the happiest. He's worked seven long years, even though they flew by, you know, they didn't really, right? Seven years to get his beloved, beautiful Rachel. And so it was, without a doubt, the happiest night of his life. And it was also probably the last fully happy night of his life. Because ever after that first wedding night, his life never was uncomplicated or relaxed again. It was a night which we can be sure that Leah would never forget either. You know, to be held and to be loved and to be cherished in Jacob's strong arms must have been wonderful. And we do, yes, we find out that she did love him. So that would have been wonderful for Leah. Yet at the same time, at the same time, it would have been terrible for Leah because all of Jacob's tender words of love to her were really not intended for her at all. They were intended for her sister, Rachel. Dr. Warren Wearsby points out something interesting as to why Leah may not have revealed the truth to Jacob at some time during the wedding ceremony or, you know, before he actually made love to her. Why did not Leah say something? Well, Warren Wearsby says that doing so would have brought great shame and embarrassment to her father, to Laban, you know, before all his guests. And they stayed around. Not only that night, but for a whole week they stayed around. And, And if she had done this, Laban, being the kind of character he was, he would have made sure that she suffered greatly for having revealed him. In his anger, it's very likely that he would have banished Jacob from his home without either one of his two daughters. And then, you see, for the rest of her life, Leah would not only be forced to live with a very angry father who might make sure she never did marry, but she would also be forced to live with a bitter and an angry and a disappointed sister as well. Now, another question to consider is where Rachel was during this night of deep drama. And we can only guess because we're not told. Her father had probably threatened her to fully cooperate. He very likely may have assured her of what he would propose to Jacob, you know, the next morning. And knowing of Jacob's love for her, Rachel would have probably had some hope that Jacob would be willing to agree to her father's plan, you know, to work another seven years for her. Yet she must have also wondered with some fear if Jacob would not enjoy being with Leah? What if he accepted his fate and he kept Leah and only Leah? You know, what if he refused Laban's proposal to work another seven years to also get Rachel as his bride? What if Jacob refused to have two wives? So wherever Rachel was on that wedding night, she must have also 
probably as her sister Leah, had a sleepless night. And I think we can count on that. I doubt either one of the two sisters slept much that night. The only one who slept well was <laughs> poor Jacob, and that was the last night he probably had a good night's rest. <laughs> Yet knowing her father, Rachel must have figured, you know, I think both sisters figured knowing their father was better to go along with his plan. But she probably, Rachel probably figured that it was better to go along with Laban's scheme and at least have the possibility of ending up with Jacob as her husband, even if she did have to share him with Leah. If she had run to Jacob and revealed her father's secret, she would have also suffered the great anger and frustration or frightening uh, situation with her father, as well as the possible banning of Jacob from them forever. I'm sure Laban would have just, you know, chased him out of town and said, you are never welcome back. And he would have had to have left without Rachel or Leah. Now, Mr. John Butler, whose commentary I use quite a bit on, on the life of Jacob, he comments on the wickedness of Laban in this whole situation. He writes this, quote, Laban, like so many people of the world, made sport of the finest things of life. Morals, love, truth, and devotion were all toys to play with and break, even if they were not his own toys. He was a materialistic person who would ride roughshod over the good and decent in order to get gain. Nothing was sacred with Laban. Marriage, morals, and children were all mere pawns on the chessboard of materialism. He did not hesitate to destroy the homes, hearts, and happiness of people by his deeds if it meant gain for him. For the wickedness of Laban in breaking his promise you know, to Jacob, defrauding his nephew, wronging his younger daughter, and practically prostituting his elder daughter, excuse is impossible. And then he goes on to compare what Laban did with Leah to what Lot did when he offered his two daughters, you know, to the, the mob of Sodom, to the homosexuals who were trying to bang down his front door. And there is a comparison there. So Laban's nuptial plot worked, didn't it? And Jacob consummated his marriage with Leah instead of with Rachel. Now, it was the custom for the bride's father to present her, the bride, with a large wedding gift um, on the day of her marriage. And ancient marital records and contracts have revealed that dowries often consisted of big gifts such as furniture or a big pile of money or clothing or whatever. And sometimes the dowry gift also included a slave. And in this situation, what was Laban's dowry gift to Leah? One of his slave girls. He gave to her a girl, a slave girl named Zilpah. And it's kind of unusual that this slave girl's name is mentioned. Because not only were daughters' names not often, daughters weren't even included a lot of times, much less slaves, but then to have her name included. And the reason, of course, for her name being included is because Zilpah would become very significant later on in the account in the next chapter when she would become the birth mother of two of Jacob's sons, 
Gad, and Asher. And we'll see that in chapter 30, verses 11 to 13. So, well, when morning came, Jacob awoke to look over at his new bride. And here we have this picture that says a million words in the look on his face. (laughs) Uh, I do not care for that picture of poor Leah, but... He awoke to look over at his new bride and receive the shock of a lifetime. The veil and the darkness and the possible lightheadedness, you know, from too much alcohol, all those things were gone now. And Jacob saw very clearly that his new bride was not his beloved Rachel, the woman that he had made love to, the woman he had cherished during the hours of the dark night, was her older sister Leah. So let's look now at his reaction to this shock as we consider Jacob's surprise. Verse 25. And it came to pass that in the morning, and I love the way God the Holy Spirit does this, it just says, behold, it was Leah. (laughs) That's it. Behold, it, actually behold, it, Leah. Because the word was is not in the original. And he, now this is Jacob, and he, Jacob, said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Okay, so the daylight revealed what the nighttime darkness had hidden. Well, I actually should let me put this back up there. the chart? No, you'll see that again. You don't need that right now. The woman that Jacob had taken as his wife, the woman that he had caressed and the woman to whom he had spoken words of deep love, we can be sure, you know, all during the night. The woman whose innocence, virginity, he had taken during the night was Leah. What does her name mean? Cow. Tender-eyed cow. Leah. It would be difficult, I think, to think, uh, to come up with a greater shock for a man to discover than this, that he had married the wrong woman. Or at least from his perspective, he had married the wrong woman. Remember the title for my message? The Wrong Woman? (laughs) And we'll develop that as we go along. Now, it's interesting to note that there are no words spoken between Leah and Jacob upon his discovery. The shock and the disappointment on his face would certainly have hurt Leah deeply, you know, especially after a night of of lovemaking. And I'm sure he couldn't hide that from his face, his disappointment and his shock. And also her feelings of guilt must have been, you know, very difficult for her, as well as her emotions of bitterness and anger toward her father for having done this to her. And we can only speculate, of course, really, on all that she must have been experiencing, but we know it could not have been pleasant. It just could not have been pleasant for Leah. Perhaps while uh, Jacob had been sleeping during the night, she had laid awake all night, dreading what would happen in the morning. Perhaps when Jacob woke up and he saw her lying next to him, he saw her crying. Perhaps he saw her sobbing, tears running down her face. Maybe she was trembling with fear 
over what he might do to her or say to her when he realized what had happened. And although we do not know exactly what transpired, we do know what Jacob's response to his discovery was. And it's interesting in two aspects. First of all, it's interesting in that he did not lash out at who? Leah. He did not lash out at Leah. We know Jacob must have been very angry when he made his discovery. But something caused him to not take his bitter disappointment and his anger, his frustration, out on her. This may be because he saw how much she also was suffering. He had made love to her, right? During the night, he had made love to her. And he, and he had held her close to himself all during the night, probably. And even if she was not Rachel he still would now have had some tender feelings toward her. And as we're going to continue with our life of Jacob's study, we're going to find that he never once said bitter or angry words to Leah about this wedding night deception. And this may also tell us that the daughters of Laban, both of the daughters, Leah and Rachel, as I have been speculating about, that they had little choice in this situation. Jacob seemed to instantly know where the true blame rested, didn't he? Because who did he go straight to? He went straight to Laban. However, before we discuss his conversation with Laban, I want to review some of the events of Jacob's marriage to Leah in light of the biblical principle of reaping and sowing and reaping, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Jacob, remember, had sown deception with his own father Isaac, and he now had reaped deception by his father-in-law. Jacob had sown deception with his elder brother, and now he reaped deception by way of of the eldest sister. You see the balance here? Sowing, reaping, sowing, reaping. Jacob had sown deception with a kiss. Remember that in chapter 27, verse 27? And he, by that kiss, he caused Isaac to think that he was Esau. And we can be sure that he reaped deception by a kiss. Probably many kisses from Leah. Jacob had sown deception with a disguise because he dressed to cause Isaac to think that he was Esau. And he reaped deception with a disguise. Not only did Leah wear a heavy veil, but she very well may have been dressed in Rachel's wedding garments and even perhaps with Rachel's perfumes. Jacob had deceived his father with regard to the favorite brother and he had been deceived by his father-in-law regarding his favorite of the two sisters Jacob had command uh, had committed his deception at the command of his mother although he being a man he did not have to obey his mother and he was deceived by a daughter who obeyed the command of her father Isaac had been deceived into thinking that he was blessing the elder 
the elder. And Jacob was deceived into thinking that he was making love to the younger. Jacob had sown deception with a special meal. Remember that goat meat which was made to taste like savory venison? And he was deceived with a special meal which was called a wedding feast. So Jacob had deceived himself into thinking that the end would justify the means, right? That the end, you know, he believed that getting the blessing, which he knew God wanted him to get all along, because God did want him to get the blessing, but God would have given him the blessing in God's way. But anyway, he believed that getting the patriarchal blessing was the final thing that mattered. You know, it justified the means. It justified the method, even though he lied and deceived to get it. So he really deceived himself into thinking that the the end justified the means. And apparently Laban also deceived himself into thinking that the end would justify the means. He would get Jacob's free labor for another seven years, and he would get both of his daughters married off. Now, although God is sovereignly in control of even man's evil and man's wrongdoings in that he can, you know, he does use those wrongs and that evil to accomplish his own purposes, does he not? I mean, he's an expert at taking what man is meant for evil and using it for his own good. Yet, as I mentioned earlier, man is still responsible for his own sins and he must live with the consequences of those sins. So the end does not justify the means when the means involve worldly compromises or are sinful. And that's something that I fully believe the Church of Jesus Christ needs to understand. The end does not justify the methods. If you bring in worldly, ungodly methods to reach people with the gospel, that still is not the right way to do it. That's doing what Jacob did. And so it's, it's just something that we need to learn, and we need to learn it really well. Now, the second thing which gains our attention about Jacob's response to the wedding night deception is his conversation with Laban, because although we can detect anger in Jacob, it really is much more subdued than we might have thought it would be. I mean, this was quite a treachery to this man. Seven years of working, and then Laban does not fulfill his end of the bargain. You would think that Jacob would just fly off the handle. And so his three questions here are rather subdued. He went to Laban, and in astonishment that the unthinkable had happened, He said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? And we can compare those words with the same words God asked of Eve back in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, they were also the same words that Pharaoh asked of Abraham in chapter 26, verse 10. And they are the same words that Abimelech used in um, questioning Isaac. You know, what have you done to me in lying about your relationship with Rebekah? And that's in chapter 26 um, also. Or no, I have the wrong scripture on that. But anyway, the three other times we've heard that same question. He had, Jacob had fulfilled his end of the bargain. He had served for seven years. So why, he wanted to know why, had Laban beguiled him? You notice that word in the last question he asks? 
he asks, um, I've got to find the verse here. Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Now the Hebrew word which was u- is used for beguiled in verse 25 there was used back in a noun form in Genesis 27:35, where Isaac had first told Esau that his brother Jacob had come with subtlety. That's the same word, subtlety, with beguilement. In other words, Isaac told Esau that Jacob had come and beguiled him or deceived him. Same word that is used in Jacob's question of Laban. So you see what's happening here. In accusing Laban of deceit, Jacob was really also condemning himself. The champion deceiver had himself just been deceived. And his instant realization of the poetic justice of this situation seems to be um, what contributed to his noticeable restraint in his anger here. He may have realized, you know, the light bulb went off. He may have realized the hand of God in this situation. Whatever his thoughts might have been, he was upset, but his anger was definitely subdued. He did not scream at Laban. He did not threaten Laban. He did not cast out Leah or even, you know, berate her. He asked Laban three questions and then he waited for his response. And Laban's response to him was even more convicting because Laban, and Laban apparently knew it would be because we find that he addressed the matter of the rights of the firstborn. And that's the very issue, you see, about which Jacob had deceived his own father and his older brother, Esau. So let's look next at Laban's response to Jacob which reveals his scheme to get another seven years of free labor out of his new son-in-law. So um, as we go to Laban's scheme, we're going to look at three subdivisions, the conviction of the scheme, the conditions of the scheme, and the compliance with the scheme. We'll start with the conviction of the scheme, verse 26. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. So here Laban's cool response to Jacob, to his three angry questions, was simply a declaration about the local, you know, rule or law or custom of his country, his land, that the younger was not to be given in marriage before the firstborn. Now whether or not this was an ironclad, you know, law, absolutely fixed, or if it was flexible, you know, it didn't always have to be that way. We don't know. If it was absolutely fixed, you know, that no younger daughter could ever marry before the firstborn, or no younger son could ever marry before the firstborn, then wouldn't you think that Jacob would have heard about this rule somewhere along the line? I mean, he had been in Padan Aram for seven years now, a little over seven years. So certainly... You know, when he told people, I'm engaged to Rachel, somebody would have said, well, you can't marry her till Leah's taken care of. But obviously he had never heard of this rule. 
So it must have been a preference kind of a thing, you know, and very flexible. However, even if it was a firm and fixed rule, it only made, if that was true, it would only make Laban more guilty. Why? Because he had never told Jacob about it earlier, as well as his plan to stick to it. You know, when they made their original nuptial contract, Jacob surely should have told him about this rule and said, well, you know, you can't marry her until I have Leah married off. And then why during seven years did he not try to get Leah married off, you know, get a husband for her? We really know, of course, that Laban simply used this as an excuse for what he had done. It is never right. Now, here's another thing we need to remember. It is never right to use some accepted practice of one's society to cheat and to deceive other people. If Laban was uh, absolutely required to obey the law of his land, he should have been up front with Jacob from the very beginning before even making the nuptial arrangement. What Laban really did, however, was that he used some standard practice of his country as a handy excuse for his cruel deception. And he was very clever. Oh, he was a sly fox of a man. Because you notice how he purposely used the words younger and firstborn, and he did that to purposely direct Jacob's thoughts back to his own improper defrauding, when as the younger son, he used deception to gain the rights of the firstborn. In essence, what Jacob heard his uncle, and now his father-in-law, his uncle had become his father-in-law, right? What he heard him say was, Oh, haven't you heard, Jacob, that in our land, we respect the rights of the firstborn? That's in essence what he was saying. And those words, don't you know, must have been like a divine slap in the face to Jacob. He must have felt a whole lot like King David felt when Nathan the prophet said, What? Thou art that man. So if Jacob had understood anything, you know, about the divine justice of the situation earlier, when he had first realized, you know, he woke up in the morning and realized that he had been tricked into marrying Leah instead of Rachel, he now seemed, you know, his eyes were fully open now. He saw it very clearly. God had seen to it that in what measure Jacob had given, it had been measured back to him. He had reaped in like measure to what he had sown. So, shocked, stunned, and silenced, we find that Jacob here just simply stood silent before Laban. He didn't speak one more word to him. Not a word in anger, uh, not a word in his own defense, not a word of any kind. He just stood there and, you know, waited for Laban to go on speaking. He didn't ask Laban why he had not told him about the firstborn rule earlier. Uh, He didn't give the excuse that God had intended for him all along to receive the rights of the firstborn. And so he was only doing God's will when he deceived. But, you know, Laban's deception had nothing to do with God. He didn't give that excuse. Um... And he didn't utter any word about the, at all about the injustice of the situation. He's totally silent. He just stood there, convicted, 
he must have realized that all of this was really God at work, you know, in the situation. And he was being divinely chastened. Therefore, he simply waited to hear what else Laban might have to say to him. You see, although he recognized God's hand, you know, using Laban, he also had begun to understand and know Laban. (laughs) Jacob would know, therefore, that the old geezer would uh, have put some deep thought into this whole scheme and would probably try to get an even better end of the deal than he had already gotten. You know, the, the seven years free work the first time, so he stood there to wait to hear what the what he had to say now about the situation. And that's what we'll look at in verse 27, the conditions of the scheme. Verse 27, fulfill, here's what he says, Uncle Laban says, fulfill her week. Now, whose week is that talking about? Leah. See, Leah gets a whole week with her husband. So he says, fulfill her week and we, and the we, now this might be the only time that Mrs. Laban enters into the picture because I can't figure out who the we would be unless it's he and Mrs. Laban. And we will give thee this also for the service. And this must speak of Rachel. (laughs) This also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. Sure enough, you know, knowing he had Jacob in a no-win situation here, Laban then stated his conditional solution to this dilemma. Of course, the dilemma was one that he had purposely set up here. If Jacob would fulfill all the necessary, you know, commitment and rituals of that first week of marriage with Leah, then he could have Rachel as well. He would then enjoy a wedding, a week of of being married with, or the week of festivities with Rachel. So he'd finish out his week with Leah, then he'd be given Rachel, and then he'd have another week with Rachel. Poor guy'd be worn out after that, wouldn't he? And in exchange for receiving Laban's, <laughs> in exchange for receiving his second daughter, Jacob would then have to serve Laban for how many more years? As the song said earlier, laboring for Laban another seven years. And of course, with no pay. Well, still quiet and subdued after his initial outburst in verse 25 Jacob I mean not a word is spoken but he obviously agreed to Laban's new condition in order to receive Rachel as his second wife his rather tame behavior after having been so terribly wronged his tame behavior really can only tell us that Jacob did see the justice of God in this situation Much as his father Isaac had realized God's hand in the matter when he first realized that he had been deceived by Jacob. We were told, remember, when Isaac realized that he had just blessed Jacob instead of Esau, what happened? What did Isaac do? He trembled very exceedingly, it told us in chapter 27, verse 33. And we discussed the fact that that trembling of old Isaac was a trembling of conviction. He saw God at work. He realized that that was God using Jacob. And in like manner here, Jacob's silence 
before Laban is a silence of conviction. Mr. Butler, again, I quote him. He says, quote, when one repents, he will not complain as much about the punishment as he will when he has not repented. Those who continually complain about any punishment that may be given them for wrongdoing are those who have not genuinely repented of their sin. Jacob's response evidence evidences some repentance in his heart about his own deceptive guile. End of quote. And I would agree with that. A hundred percent. Okay, let's move now to the compliance with the scheme, verses 28 to 30. It says, uh, after Laban gave the conditions, it just tells us, and Jacob did so. See? Not one word, right? Not one word. He just did so. And fulfilled her week, and that speaks of Leah's week. And he, Laban, gave him, Jacob, Rachel, his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in, that's Jacob, went in also unto Rachel. And he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Rather than simply demanding to receive Rachel immediately, Jacob did first fulfill his week with Leah. He would not disrespect Leah's right to that wedding week. Neither did Jacob argue about another seven years of service. You know, he could have said to Laban that those previous seven years had already been given for Rachel and he would not work an equal amount of years for a wife he had never wanted in the first place. You know, out of respect for Leah, he did not complain to Laban that both daughters to him were not worth the same price. Right? And that's commendable. He merely consented meekly to Laban's terms. He fulfilled his week with Leah and at the end of that week, he was given Rachel. And then he had the week with Rachel. And we also find that just as Laban had done with Leah, he gave Rachel a, a wedding gift. And her wedding gift was another slave girl, handmade. And her name was Bilhah. And Bilhah is mentioned by name because she too would become the birth mother of two of Jacob's sons. And those sons were Dan and Naphtali. And you can read about that in chapter 30, verses 4 and 8. Now in verse 30, we are told that Jacob consummated his marriage with Rachel and he loved her, what, more than Leah. Now, by the words more than, we can conclude that Jacob did love Leah. You know, that's what it says. He didn't love her as much as he loved Rachel, but he did love her. He just loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. 
And this is supported by the Hebrew words, which, which are also used down in verse 31. Um, where it says, see, it says the word hated in the King James Version. I'm not sure what it says in others. But also down in verse 33, it uses the word hated. But that word doesn't really mean he hated Leah. It means that he loved her less than. And we are also told that Jacob served Laban for yet another seven years. So, you know, this is something contrary to what a lot of people think. You know, if you talk to people about the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel, a lot of people think that he had to work 14 years before he actually got Rachel as his wife. But that is not true. He got Rachel as his wife before he started that second years, that second set of years of work. And actually, during that second seven years, many of his sons were born. So he had both wives during that second seven years of work. And notice this time it doesn't say that they flew by. <laughs> they didn't seem to him but as a few days. Because with all the domestic difficulties that he encountered in those next seven years, they probably seemed more like 21 years to poor Jacob. However, with what the two sisters also went through, you can be sure that those seven years were obviously long and painful for them as well. They were long and painful for Leah because she felt unloved. And they were long and painful for Rachel. Why? Because she remained barren while her sister was having one son after another. So, Jacob became a bigamist because he was married to two women. And this was not God's perfect will. God has designed marriage from the very beginning to be one man for one woman. And he set this example for man, you know, when he gave Adam one wife. He didn't give Adam two wives, right? He didn't give Eve two husbands. He knew that they would have just enough trouble with one and one. Even though polygamy became a common practice back in the world, you know, after the fall, that never, ever, ever, ever made it morally right. Later, you know, under the Mosaic Law, when, the, when Moses would write the Mosaic Law, under divine inspiration, of course, a man's marriage to two sisters was even illegal, absolutely forbidden. And you can read about that in Leviticus 18, 18. Now, Jacob, think of who Jacob is. The grandson of Abraham. Jacob would have learned, certainly, about the mess that his own grandfather had gotten into when he had had an additional relationship with Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid of Sarah. And Jacob had parents. Who were his parents? Isaac and Rebekah. He had parents who had done things God's way. Because Isaac, for all of his shortcomings, Isaac still had never taken an additional wife. Nor had he ever laid with a handmaid. You know, even though his wife only got pregnant once and it took 20 years for her to get pregnant, still he had never laid with another woman and he, he only kept one wife, even though she only bore him 
twin sons. So the point is that Jacob knew that it was not God's will for a man to have more than one wife. Now Esau, his brother, also must have known that truth. But he didn't care, did he? He didn't care at all about doing God's will, whereas Jacob did. So, um, as we know, how many wives did Esau take? Not one, not two, but three wives. So we ask the question, why did Jacob agree to Laban's plan to work an additional seven years and receive Rachel in marriage as his second wife? Well, we know why, because he, he loved her. All right, but let's consider this really carefully and see what his other options might have been. Number one, Jacob could have rejected Leah and given her back to her father. However, that would be terribly bad for Leah, right? Because with her virginity gone, she would be greatly shamed before all of her family and friends for the rest of her life. And she would probably never marry. But there was also the problem of possible conception. For all Jacob knew, Leah may have conceived a child on that wedding night. And Jacob would not know about a possible child for at least, you know, a little more than a month. And he also knew that God had promised him that he was going to continue the messianic line through him. So what if Leah did conceive and had a son and that was the son through whom God had planned to continue the messianic line? You see the problem it could present? And he threw her out and cast her out? Furthermore, if Jacob cast out Leah, Laban would no doubt have reacted very violently. He could have gathered together lots of men there in Haran who would join with him to drive Jacob away from their land, whereas Jacob was completely alone, right? And way outnumbered. If he was driven from Haran by Uncle Laban, he would never, ever see Rachel again. He would never see Leah again. He would have no wife, and he would not be welcomed back to Haran in a second attempt to find another bride from among his relatives. So he would be forced to return to his own home, you know, his father's house, without having fulfilled his father's command to go to Haran and find himself a wife. He would come back empty-handed, and he would merely be seven years older, which would make him now 84, and not even one shekel richer, and no wife. So all the way around, it would not have been good for Jacob to have cast out Leah. So what then was another option for him in this situation, other than the one that he did choose, which was taking two wives? Well, secondly, second option here is that Jacob could have kept Leah as his wife and as his one and only wife. Once he had seen, you know, that the divine hand of retribution had taken effect in his life and that he had reaped as he himself had sown, he, just like his father before him, like Isaac, could have resigned himself to the situation. 
regardless of how much Isaac, his father, in in his flesh, had desired to give the patriarchal blessing to Esau, his favorite son, he had seen that God had overruled that situation, right? And so he kept the blessing on Jacob. And uh, he saw that, you know, he saw how God had used even Jacob and Rebekah's wrongdoing to work out his own purposes. Well, Jacob could have done the very same thing. Regardless of how much he in his flesh desired Rachel, he could have resigned himself to accept the fact that he was now married to Leah. And it was morally wrong for him to take a second wife even if that was the socially accepted practice, you see? Now, many, if not most of the marriages back in those days uh, were arranged. They were arranged marriages, and people, what? They learned to love their spouse. Jacob's own parents had had an arranged marriage because, you know, Isaac had never before seen Rebecca, Right? until she was brought to him to marry. And Rebecca had never before seen Isaac. Jacob could learn to love Leah. You see, love is an act of the will. You can will yourself to love people. In fact, we have already seen that he did love her, right? The problem was that he did not love her as much as he loved Rachel. However, if he had simply resigned himself to his situation and taken Leah, his one and only wife, back home with him, you know, as I had here in the picture, back home with him to Canaan, what do you think would have happened over the years as she had one son? She was very prolific. As she had one son after another, and they spent years together, and they grew old together, he would have come to have loved her more and more and more. She, we know she did love him. She, and if she didn't love him initially, we know she did come to love him because of the names she gave to her sons. And it would be easy for him to love a woman who was so devoted to him. The problem that he would have with loving Leah properly for the next 13 years or so was that Rachel was always around to distract him. And as we know... Many problems developed, many problems, because Jacob did not settle for just one wife, she being Leah. There were not only serious problems between the two sister wives as they struggled against one another, you know, for Jacob's attention and also to bear Jacob's children, but more problems developed when they each then brought into the situation their Laban-given dowries, <laughs> their handmaids. Uh, so instead of having just one mother for his children, how many mothers did Jacob wind up having for his children? Four mothers. And this caused jealousies and divisions and all kinds of problems among his children. Multiple marriages normally create a lot of headaches, heartaches, and bad consequences, especially for the offspring, right? The children. And this is true whether the issue is one of parallel 
marriages such as polygamy, you know, having more than one wife or more than one husband at the same time, which we don't, you know, it's against the law in our culture. Or if it's, uh, you know, the more acceptable form of our contemporary Western culture, which is that of multiple serial marriages, one after another, through what? Through divorce. Well, the one and only one for the time being who walked away from this whole situation, this whole complex marital situation, congratulating himself on its success was who? Laban. He must have thought himself quite a wise fellow for having not only married off both of his daughters and in the right order, you know, the older one first and then the younger one, but for also having gotten another seven years of free labor from a very strong, skilled, and dedicated worker. You see, Laban did not realize that he was going to one day also reap from all the evil sowing that he had done, nor did he realize that God was overruling this entire situation. Regardless of how much Laban might attempt to mess with God's plans for Jacob, God would still have his way. And doesn't that just tell us again and again and again about the sovereignty of God? As it states in Proverbs 21:30, there is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel which can succeed against the Lord. Aren't you glad for that? No matter what evil men are doing out here in this world, no matter what, God will have his plan fulfilled. Boy, if that isn't comforting news in the day in which we live when men are evil men are waxing worse and worse and worse. God is absolutely sovereign and he will take even that which men mean for evil, intend for evil, and he will use it for good. Although Leah may have been the wrong wife from Jacob's perspective, perhaps she was not the wrong woman from God's perspective. 